Hello curious people, Ian here, your host. In this third and final episode of our series on the energy transition, I'm delighted to welcome Gloria Serra Koch, architect and PhD candidate at TPFL. Developing renewable technologies is great. Deploying them at scale is even better, but getting people to embrace them is vital. That's why our guests will explain the key factors in getting people to buy solar panels and many other technologies. Most importantly, we'll discuss what needs to be done to drive mass adoption of these great innovations. Halfway through the episode, we'll be joined by Julia Bori, co-lead of innovation at IFRS. As a matter of fact, Julia is currently working on a project that is contributing to this mass adoption in Switzerland. She'll quickly introduce this project to us, so make sure you stick around. Perspectives, a podcast by E4S, the joint research and action center between the Faculty of Business and Economics of the University of Lausanne, IMD, and EPFL. Each month, we engage with experts from various disciplines to discuss systemic solutions for a major societal challenge. Gloria Serracor, welcome to Perspectives. Thank you. You recently wrote a piece with the title Green Energy is Not Sexy. Why do you think that green energy needs to be sexy? So that's actually a very good question. Why? Okay, energy is not sexy, so what? Why, why do we care about it? So as most of us are aware our current climate challenges show that we cannot sustain energy production systems that are based on fossil fuels and uh, therefore we need to move towards new uh, energy models so um, this ongoing energy transition that's how we call it the energy transition uh, towards low carbon solutions is key to tackle those challenges and if we look specifically at the case of switzerland um, the residential sector is very significant, is a, is a high significant contributor to energies and uh, Switzerland energies consumption. I think it's around like 30% of uh, current energy consumption in Switzerland. So, uh, so we need to tackle that. One, one key challenge of like, a, or one way of like addressing this challenge is actually the implementation of decentralized uh, um, energy production in households. Mm -hmm. uh, like uh, solar panels, thermal panels, or photovoltaic panels. Yeah. And this technology is quite was widespread already in Switzerland, but there's still some barriers that don't, don't allow everybody to adopt it, that do not like allow for like this uh, massive adoption in the society. When you say decentralized, you mean because the, the energy is not produced at the same place where it's consumed? or It's because it's not produced uh, in central, uh, I don't know, thermal um, production centers or nuclear um, centers. Like, so it's not produced in one okay. single place. It's produced separated, decentralized in the different okay. places. So for example, for solar, pan uh, solar panels, uh, the, the energy is basically produced everywhere where exactly. it is consumed. Or 
Yes, uh, we have the potential of producing it uh, in every household. Okay. So it's not like, imagine like, if we had a huge field of solar panels, mm -hmm. even if it's solar energy, that would be centralized. Yeah. Because like the energy production would be all in one place. Yeah. If we have uh, some solar panels in each house, mm -hmm. this is decentralized production. And the difference is important because it puts a different type of strain on the grid. One thing is like all this energy is like circulating from these production centers towards the consumers. The other thing is if the energy is produced in this decentralized manage manner and it goes both ways. Yeah. And that uh, brings me to the other point, but because besides the use of renewable energy sources to produce energy, it's very important how we actually manage our energy. And this is uh, where energy management systems come in which are these devices that aid in balancing the supply and demand and effectively align uh, production and consumption of energy. Okay, so energy management systems, very important. Those are devices that people actually have at home? Yes, exactly, yeah. or that can have at home. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so if you install an energy management system and imagine that you have a photovoltaic panels and an electric vehicle, for instance, this energy management system can coordinate when it's charging the electric vehicle, so it's at the same time that you are producing energy with the solar panels. Okay. And that also with other energy appliances in the house. This shaves off the peaks of energy and optimizes the consumption within the household. And this doesn't sound sexy at all. <laughs> it doesn't. Actually, it doesn't. And that, that, that's, the, that's the important, because this is the gap. Like, we have all these technologies, all these innovations, and they are working. And we have ways to tackle this like, uh, climate challenge. But uh, technology or people are not adopting these uh, technologies. So there is a gap between mm -hmm. the production and, and the research and the implementation and the adoption uh, for, by the users. Mm -hmm. So and to bridge this gap, there is this need of like making this appealing yeah, to yeah. the user. I mean, some people are adopting it, right? Some people, of course, but um, we don't have enough with some people. In order particularly for these energy management systems to work, it is very good if like a huge part of the population adopt it. Mm -hmm. Why? Because then it's not only about optimizing the energy in your home, it's about optimizing the energy at larger scales, in the neighborhood, in the region, even in the country. Mm -hmm. And that addresses the issue of like the strain put on the grid. And these energy management systems are particularly not sexy yeah. <laughs> because most of people don't even know they exist, first yeah. of all, but also it's like a device that it's, it's invisible in a way. You put it in the home, you practically don't see it. Um, it's not appealing. So we have like this part of uh, why energy is not sexy. It has a side of like this invisibility because uh, we don't see it. We don't like, uh, we cannot like get engaged with it in a way. And this part of like being also a technical thing that like most people like, feel a bit detached from it. And if they don't feel connected, they don't feel engaged, they don't want to like, uh, they don't want to make changes about it. They are not feeling this uh, attraction to it. So like the idea is like, how do we put energy in the spotlight? How do we make it a hot topic so people start engaging yeah. with because it? Because let's say some people are already adopting those technologies because they're really sensitive to maybe environmental questions. 
But I guess what you're saying is that it's not enough because most people are not uh, sensitive enough to um, to uh, making this uh, energy transition possible. So we need to convince them by other means. Is this what you mean? Exactly. In fact, um, we have been doing some research funded by the Federal Office of Energy in mm -hmm. Switzerland with, uh, with my lab at EPFL. And what we surveyed adopters of photovoltaic panels, electric vehicles, and energy management systems, and we asked them about what are your drivers, why did you adopt the technology? And one of the main drivers is what you're saying, the attitude. They wanted to be more environmentally friendly, more um, energy like conscious, uh, optimize their energy consumption. And this is really good, but these people have already adopted. Yeah. The question is, okay, how do we convince the rest of the population? Because as you are saying, uh, they might not be so attuned to these issues. They might not care that much. Mm -hmm. And what our results uh, show, and also is based on literature, is that social influence is very important to convince this, this majority. Yeah. Um, in fact, there's like this theory uh, called diffusion of innovations that analyzes how an innovation enters the social system and then how it spreads through yeah. the social system. Um, and Rogers, who uh, wrote a book on this theory, classifies people in five different groups, depending on when they adopt the innovation. You have the innovators, then you have the early adopters, the early majority, the late majority, and the laggards. And the most people are in the... Majorities. Yeah, the late majority. Ex exactly, I mean, early, early and late, late majority. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But also this uh, theory brings a concept that is very interesting, which is called uh, critical mass or tipping point. It's a concept that is borrowed from physics, actually. Mm -hmm. um, that basically tells you when there is enough, when you hit a certain threshold of number of people that have adopted this technology, the adoption becomes self-sustaining. So mm -hmm. the rest of the people follow. You don't need to convince them anymore. <laughs> exactly. Basically, it's that. Okay. So there's like this uh, tipping point, this moment where uh, it's very important to convince a certain group of people, which are basically not the innovators. These ones are the ones that we have already convinced, as you were saying, like the ones that are already environmentally conscious. They already like have the PV panels mm -hmm. or such. The early adopters are also mainly driven by these factors, but then the early majority is the one that is mostly driven by this social influence. Yeah. And what other people, like the, the what, uh, a bit what the um, society does, what they see that their neighbors do, what they see that people they know do, and also what they feel that is expected yeah. from them. And what's preventing us from uh, convincing this early and late majority for now, do you think? And um, we're going back to a bit of this uh, idea of the visibility. In fact, um, also Rogers in his theory uh, analyzes the different factors that uh, affect the rate of adoption. And one of them is the characteristics or the perceived attributes of the technology. Mm -hmm. And what the problem that we have with this type of technologies is that are highly invisible. They have what Rogers call low observability because yeah. you don't see it, you don't get like this constant input of like, oh, people are adopting this. Yeah. How do I know my neighbor has an energy management system? <laughs> I don't. Yeah. Or my friends, like usually it's not something you, you, yeah. you talk about, let's say. They also have very low triability. Even 
a car. A car, you can go test it, see if you like it or not. A PV panel, how do you test it? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or, or an energy management system, even less. Yeah. Um, they are also kind of complex technologies. It's not like something that like we have something similar and then we modify it a bit. We're not going from, uh, I don't know, the normal phone to the smartphone. We are going it's to a like, radical change. It's a radical change. Yeah. That makes more, it more difficult for people to adopt. Um, so all these are, are barriers that are inherent in the, in the characteristics of the technology and that when uh, we're marketing it, we need to think about how to overcome them. Is there a way we can make it more visible? Is there a way that we can make it a hot topic? Mm. Is there a way that um, we can um, give options to test it, to try it, to simplify the way we explain how it works? But it's not only that. In this case, I, uh, when we talk about the energy transition, in general, we also have a tendency to phrase the goals in a, in a negative fashion. So we talk all, always about saving, about reducing, about consuming less, and people don't feel engaged with that. This is not exciting. The, the becoming less is not cool. It's not like something that like, you get excited about. Um, so saving energy is not something that comes across as sexy, as yeah. we were saying before. So that I see is like one one issue that that could uh, that we could have with that. And another one relates more to the implementation difficulties. So even if people are already convinced, we they know what an energy management system is. They they have been able to test it, to see it. Uh, people have talked about it to them. Like they somewhat th are convinced and they think they are sexy. How do they actually implement it? It's not like they can like just go online and order it and get it home the next day. Mm -hmm. um, no, they need to like go talk to professionals, see like what are the specific conditions of the home, if it's compatible with the, with the uh, electric installation they have, if actually the energy management system they want to install is compatible with other appliances, the PV panels, but like maybe the boiler, maybe their heat pump. Mm. Um, so how do they make all these things talk to each other? They also need to see what is the subsidy scheme. If it, how, or if that subsidy scheme applies to them, depending on where they are geographically and their conditions, if the investment is going to be worth it, what are the current tariffs of electricity? So that's so a lot. E even if people are attracted to it, there are still a lot of barriers. Exactly. It's a very cumbersome process for the person trying to do that. Yeah. So that's also another like barrier or difficulty that I see with, uh, with adoption. And uh, so the one million dollar question, how do we make green energy sexy? <laughs> um, I mean, to be honest, I would, I would like to have the answer to that, like many people would. Um, so, um, yes, I don't have this like silver bullet of like, yes, we're going to do this and then that everything is going to be solved and it's going to work. But um, there are like certain things that we can change to aid in the process. And one of these things like goes back to what I was saying, like um, maybe when we're marketing it, uh, we should be focusing less on this uh, consuming less, uh, saving, uh, tra trying to hit less this idea of like you're adopting this because you have to out of a sense of duty mm -hmm. in a way and more about, um, okay, 
you can adopt this because um, this is going to increase your well-being. The control that you have into the environment of your home, your comfort, mm -hmm. uh, focusing more on the add-ons, on the additional things that you're going to get when you, when you adopt these technologies and not on the you, you should do it because um, yeah, that's a beautiful way of so acting. So switch the narrative from a less standpoint, from a restrictive standpoint to a, to a more, like what you're going to gain from this. Exactly, yeah. exactly. That's exactly what I, what I mean. Because um, actually we do gain a lot from it. And sometimes it gets overshadowed by this idea of like, uh, no, we need to reduce our, our way of living in a, in a sense to, to tackle these, um, these challenges, these climate challenges. And the idea is, that, yes, but can we do that by actually improving certain parts of our lives? Do you have examples? Um, like how, what do we gain from making this transition? In the case of energy management systems, for instance, um, one, one clear example is this control. This idea of, yes, I can control how my house works, mm -hmm. how, my, um, the, how I optimize the energy in the house. And by adding all these appliances um, or by connecting all, in integrating all these appliances, I can, in general, uh, optimize its functioning. Mm -hmm and have, yes, have more, more control, more agency on what I want to prioritize at each time. Um, in the case of solar panels, it also gives you this uh, self-sufficiency. Mm -hmm. So like because you can you rely less on the grid, mm -hmm. rely less on others, um, yes, you're, you're more self-sufficient. And that's like something that like can appeal to a lot of people. Yeah, you can also participate in the system, right? As a producer of energy and seller. Exactly. So like it gives you like some, yeah, what I was saying, agency into the system, some part of like some sort of empowerment mm -hmm. in, in participating in how this system uh, works. And the clear also example of that is also how um, electric vehicles have been marketed, Tesla, yeah. uh, which focus more on this idea of um, the positive sides of it the sexy side, side, side of it and not this uh, negative side. So when, when you think about a Tesla, you don't think, oh, it's going to have like very low autonomy because mm -hmm. um, it's a, it has an electric battery and yes, I cannot go that far or I have to think about it if I take a long trip. Yeah. This is not the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about a Tesla. Yeah. It comes out, like, you think about the design, it, 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 you think about like how cool in a way the product is. Yeah, because Tesla is a great example, right? Electric vehicles were not cool at all before Tesla. Were not sexy at all. And somehow they managed to make it sexy. Exactly, exactly. Uh, Tesla is a, is, is a perfect example of, of that. Um, yes, electric vehicles before were tied a bit to this idea of like duty that I was saying. Um, people would like get an electric vehicle because they would think it was good for the environment because it was think that like they had to in a way um, they should. Um, now a lot of people that are getting Teslas are 
are not that uh, driven by environmental issues, yeah. are more driven about like how uh, having the Teslas, having the new cool thing yeah. for a, especially a high status individual. Yeah, so the social influence is very important here. Exactly. Right? Yes. And that brings me also to another concept, which is this idea of vertical influence, which is that innovations in a society a lot of times, or like in general, uh, access the social system through higher status individuals, which means individuals that have more means to um, to adopt the innovation. Always to adopt something new, it's a bit uh, risky. Mm -hmm. So if you have more means, like you can like take the risk. Mm -hmm. uh, also, individuals that tend to be more cosmopolitan, that are more open, uh, have higher education, and then when these have adopted. If the social system is connected, the innovation trickles down in a way to the rest of the society. Yeah, because they are the influencers too. Exactly. They are pe the people who other people look up to. Exactly. So for the innovation to actually trickle down, we need these two aspects. First, that these high status individuals are convinced that they adopted and that these, these high status individuals are visible, are a mm. reference for yeah. the rest of the society. And of course, a car is way more visible than a solar panel or uh, energy management system. Exactly, which goes back to what we were saying. Mm -hmm. It's something that is, uh, it has high observability. Mm -hmm. You can see it. It's uh, very compatible with what we have. It's easier to, to, to adopt. It's very similar to something we already had before. Yeah. Um, and it has triability. You can go, you can test a Tesla, Actually, they do that a lot and, yeah. and see if like, you, you enjoy it. I tested one myself. Yes. <laughs> you see, I, I mean, I know a lot of people that told me this. Like, mm -hmm. yes, I tested the Tesla. And, and that's part of their marketing strategy because they know that uh, this triability factor is very important for people. Mm -hmm. And that's something that like, it's very difficult to get with an energy management system or a solar, pa solar panel. But are there any... Uh like ideas that you have in mind? So um, that's something actually my, my research group is, uh, or the lab is um, working on. Um, these, they are called uh, solar parties. Mm -hmm. And basically they bring together uh, people that have already adopted PV panels, mm -hmm. also providers, uh, suppliers of PV panels, and sometimes uh, some public entities, some like the municipality or associations, and they bring them all together. Mm -hmm. They also try to uh, gather people that might have not adopted yet, but they are interested. Mm -hmm. And they explain the technology, they share experiences, they also show the technology directly. So they are trying to overcome it like with this type of, of events. And this is something that happens naturally in neighborhoods, right? So in neighborhoods where people adopt solar panels, for example, this kind of conversations happen naturally, I guess. Um, yes, that's something that like we call proximity effects yeah. or neighborhood effects even. Um, there are like several studies that show that um, if a PV panel appears in a neighborhood, um, there are more probabilities that other PV panels are going to appear around it. Mm -hmm. Controlling by other factors, uh, such as like similar demographics, similar characteristics and such. Yeah. And these, um, the, the theory or the stud studies show that is based on like these interactions. Um, there is like this passive influence, which is basically um, because you see the PV panel, in your neighborhood's roof, you start thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And then there's this active influence, which is when you have conversation with your neighbor, with your friend, with whoever about PV panels, and then uh, that helps you with the decision of, of adopting.
So in terms of factors that influence adoption of these technologies, we mostly talked about social influence, but are there other, other key factors? Yes, indeed. Um, as we also mentioned before, the attitude that people have uh, regarding these technologies is very important. So in our study, most of the adopters of energy technologies we surveyed decided to adopt them because they wanted to promote environmentally friendly energies or become more energy independent. Um, therefore, an a positive environmental or energy conscious attitude is, is key. Then there is also the aspect of what we call perceived behavioral control. So how capable they feel to like use the technology. And that's something that like also like there are like some issues with energy management systems and photovoltaic panels because they are not as straight Easy forward to use. To use. Yeah. Exactly. Then of course there are the economic aspects, which um, they be are less important, less relevant than we think or, um, initially. However, we did see in our results that um, the people we surveyed think that the profitability of energy management systems is lower than what it actually is. So there is a mismatch between their perception of how profitable it is and how it actually is. So when you mean prof profitable, you mean how much money they will save with energy management exactly. systems? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. That's yeah. it. And that's something that like, we can also work on by changing the message we give uh, about it. Then uh, there is also what uh, the context. So one thing is in theory, okay, I want PV panels and I want, uh, yeah, and I'm convinced and such, but what if I live in an apartment? Where do I install those PV panels? Let's say I own the apartment. I still need to agree with all the other neighbors in the same building to put the PV panels on the roof. Mm -hmm. That, that's already a difficult decision. But let's say I rent the apartment. I have absolutely no leverage on, on that decision making. And actually, 99% of people who install solar panels are owners, right? That's the results that we're getting in our, in one, in our survey, yes. 99% of uh, people that install PV panels, that are adopters of PV panels in our survey, are house owners. And I think above 80% are uh, single family home owners, mm. so not apartment owners. Uh, this number is a bit lower with energy management system, but on the same range, while it's much lower on uh, electric vehicles, which means that there's a huge difference between the um, technologies that you have in your home, that you have to install in your home, and the other ones. So solving or, or like trying to think about strategies to address these contextual barriers limitations is key if we want to go from like this minority that lives that are owners and live in these conditions to the majority of the population. But that's, that's a very hard gap to close, right? Because I don't see how people who don't own the place can install uh, photovoltaic panels. How do you do that? Actually, um, the Federal Office of Energy is already aware of it and they are trying to find uh, um, solutions in, in this case and it's, like, it's in fact a challenge. One thing is to go through the institutional investors, so main owners of buildings that do have the leverage to make that decision. They usually uh, have issues with like taking the responsibility to do that. Um, so we need to introduce some models, some strategies to make it profitable for them or, or to give like some 
push some um, yes yeah, some some leverage in order for them to to want to uh, take this step. Speaking of making the adoption of renewable technologies easier for large building owners, let's take a quick look at Servesia, which is a project my colleague Julia Bori at IFRS is currently working on and very keen to present. Hi Julia, welcome to Perspectives. So you're currently working on a project named Servesia, which is a partnership between the Enterprise for Society Center and BASE. Can you please tell us about it? Yes, hi Anne, thanks for having me. So Servetia is an initiative uh, that we launched in 2023 to accelerate the decarbonization of the building sector in Switzerland and focusing mainly on uh, the energy consumption of buildings. And how does it work? What's new? We are focusing on fostering the concept of servitization, hence the name Servetia. Um, servitization is the idea that one does not own an asset, but one pay for the use of that asset. If we go back, for uh, example, to the solar panels, um, the idea would be not to buy any solar panels, uh, but to pay every month for the use of the renewable energy that is created by the solar panels. Okay, so basically, if I understand correctly, it's just like a Netflix subscription, but instead of movies, you subscribe to solar panels and other renewable energy technologies. Exactly. With Servetia, we are looking at uh, large energy consumers. Uh, most of the time, hospitals, campuses, um, hotels. So we don't uh, look at individual houses. But the idea is that these large consumers would pay a monthly fee to have access to a entirely renewable energy system. So we don't only look at solar panels, but we look also at heat pumps, uh, charging stations. We have a holistic view of a building to transform it from most of the time and fossil fuel users to fully uh, renewable energy users. That's great. And how does it work in practice? There are three main actors. We have the energy users, the hospitals, hotels, but we also have the solution providers, the people that will come in and install um, the systems. And a third actor are the investors, people that will come in to enable that large investment to be made. We talk most of the time of half a million uh, to a million. So it's important that this doesn't all end up on the shoulders of the hotel owner or the hospital owner. And we talk of a win-win-win situation where the energy user will have access to renewable energies at a low cost. The solution provider will have access to a larger market um, of um, clients and the investors will be able to invest in a, in a brand new segment of, of investment, uh, which is servitization. Amazing. And um, okay, let's imagine now that I'm a hospital owner or a hotel owner. Where do I start? Servetia is here to support um, the link between the hotel owner, uh, the solution provider and the investors. So we are going to facilitate the creation of these servitization contracts, make sure that the prices are right, uh, that the prices are transparent, that there are no hidden costs, and ensure um, that uh, no one is making uh, money on the, 
back of someone else, but that there is really value being created for everyone. Perfect. Thank you very much, Julia, and best of success with this project. Thank you, Jan. For now, we've been talking about mostly the consumer side, but just before you said that even when the consumer is convinced, it's still hard sometimes to get those products. So what would you recommend happens on the supply side? Yes, that is absolutely correct. And actually our study, like the, the one that we were doing for the SFOE, we interviewed uh, supply side actors and adopters, and they both complained or were like uh, mentioning this as a barrier for uh, adoption and for diffusion of these systems. Mm -hmm. This lack of coordination between uh, actors, this lack of a, of a figure that acts as an integrator that takes the, the consumer from the beginning of the process, from when they are starting to decide about the technology, to the end. Yeah. And they were like already mentioning, like we, we need someone to step up on that. Um, because you have the supplier, you have the, the, some consulting companies, then you have like some uh, academic institutions that do some research, uh, then you have um, professionals that work on the housing sector. So how do you bring all this together and make it easier for the consumer to adopt? Mm -hmm. Which ties a bit with what we were saying before. This is a, a product that is a bit cumbersome. And it's not as easy as to order online and just get it. You need uh, someone to like help you with the process, a professional for that. Yeah. Some of the solutions that have been like uh, mentioned that, that we have like uh, that from our data we have seen that uh, might be uh, interesting is this idea of uh, co-adoption and bundles. Um, so many times people adopt these type of technologies together. Uh, for instance, if you have photovoltaic panels and electric vehicles, one electric vehicle, it makes more sense for you to also have an energy management system because you want to optimize these fluxes. Mm -hmm. While if you don't have a production um, technology and a high consumption technology, the optimizing the fluxes of your household might not seem as much as, as a priority. So there are like some... Um, some companies, some organizations that have started to offer these products as a bundle. Okay. So when they install you the PV panels, they already offer, and you're having this energy management system that goes with it. Okay. And they are already bringing it uh, together. This co-adoption of technologies has, uh, also in literature, has been proved to be um, highly successful in increasing uh, increasing adoption. Mm -hmm. But that also needs a certain coordination between actors. Yeah. Because uh, maybe the traditional installer of PV panels do not have um, the IT capabilities needed for the energy management system or the part of the app design uh, related to that. Yeah. So bringing these two types of uh, professionals together is very important in order to be able to offer this. How do we bring them together? Do we need a middleman or...? So that's something that we're actually investigating in our research. And we have started analyzing how the network of these supply side actors looks like in, in Switzerland and what are the um, levers, what are the points to actually uh, increase coordination within that network. Mm -hmm. And what we found out is that a very diverse type of actors are called, uh, attend the same events or are part of the same uh, associations. Mm. Meaning that these uh, events, for instance, can be used as a platform 
to discuss these topics and to coordinate this type of actors. And that might be a first, um, a first initiative, a first good point for that. Yeah. Afterwards, one other uh, aspect that we have identified is that there are many of these adoptions that happen tied to renovations of the housing. Mm. The moment you decide to renovate your house is probably the moment that you're gonna think about, okay, am I installing PV panels? Am I changing my electric system? Mm. Am I like doing something else? Yeah. Um, at this point is when um, professionals from the construction sector become very important. And if these professionals have a training on these energy technologies, have knowledge about it, are in contact with other suppliers about it, they can easily redirect the, um, the consumer, the, the, the residential owner into the uh, adoption of these technologies while they are doing the renovation. Okay, so basically there are key, so those are big decisions, mm -hmm. uh, big consuming decisions, more than just like I mean, buying a car is already a big decision, but they are even bigger. And there are key moments where people take those decisions. And those key moments are entry points. Exactly, and windows so, of opportunity. Yeah, and so, so we should look at those entry points and uh, understand who is in contact with the consumer in, for each of these entry points. You give the example of renovation, maybe there are other key um, entry points. And then like, incentivize those people to, uh, to uh, offer co-adoption and uh, more green energy uh, solutions. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. No, no, that's absolutely right. And ties to another of the results that we got from the study, which is that uh, for adopters of technologies, um, it matters like the trust that they have on that professional in order to, for their decision to adopt. And trust is highly related with frequency of interaction mm. in our studies. So the more they have interacted with that professional in the past, the more they might trust them, and the more this professional has a leverage mm. to influence their decision. Which means it's very important to go to these local professionals, like the local architect, the local engineer, maybe even the plumber, like someone that, is, that you regularly go to for issues uh, in your daily life, and train them, convince them, uh, transform them in what we call change, the change agents, which is this figure that um, takes an active role into trying to like in change uh, the behavior of individuals or introducing an innovation in the system. And for that, yes, what you are saying, it's very important to identify those, those local professionals and give them uh, also the, the means to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. the information they need, the contacts they need as yeah. well. Gloria, we're getting at the end of this uh, fascinating conversation, but I have one last question. Um, will it be enough to make green energy sexy for the energy transition, at least at the residential stage, let's say? For example, I'm not sure that fossil fuels have ever been sexy, and yet we seem to love them. So is making green energy sexy enough? Um, I would challenge a bit this idea of like, have fossil fuels been sexy, <laughs> actually? Um, if you think about worldwide, many geopolitical decisions are based on uh, energy sources. What we don't take is this importance that we recognize at the global level into our domestic lives. 
I'm not sure if it's about making green energy sexy itself. I'm not even sure like what we could call green energy. Mm -hmm. uh, there would be a lot of disagreement on that. Um, but making this idea of energy itself yeah. sexy or something important, something that we have agency uh, on, something that we care about, that is present in our lives. Because energy, in a way, it, it drives most of the things that we do. But we don't like, see it, so exactly. we don't think about it. Exactly, and that's the issue. Like, um, we can be comfortable in our homes because we have energy. We can like see at night because we have energy. The appliances we use, they all run on energy. So um, it's clearly key for our daily life. But because it's invisible, because we don't see it, we don't acknowledge it. So um, from my point of view, it's not about only making like this uh, green energy sexy. It's about like making energy uh, more present, more visible and something that we care about. If that's going to be enough for the energy transition, that's uh, an open question. But uh, giving people uh, agency on it. Uh, knowledge on it, I think it's important to also uh, bring equity in the in the mix because uh, energy is something that like has been like usually um, managed by very important key players and it's important to open it up to the wider public if we want the energy transition not only to be sustainable from an environmental point of view, but also from a social point of view. So you mean like new business models that make it easier to access these markets, for example? Or Yes, yeah. new business models. There's like part, the part of uh, business that is important, what we were talking about, like the moment that people become producers of energy, like that brings another like role mm -hmm. into, the, into the market. But also this idea that it's more a long-term behavioral change, this idea of like making it more um, present in the life of in individuals, make them more connected to the, to the topic. Um, and in a way, increasing the ed education about it, increasing the agency about it. Gloria, thank you very much. Thank you. This is the end of our series on the energy transition. I hope it has provided you with some clarity. Soon, we'll be releasing a new series on another major societal challenge. Make sure you don't miss it by subscribing to our podcasts and following us on LinkedIn and Instagram. You'll find us under Enterprise for Society Center, abbreviated E4S Center. To find out more about us, please visit www.e4s.com dot center that's www.e4s.center see you soon perspectives by e4s inspiring the transition to a resilient and inclusive economy within planetary boundaries